0: Morning, everybody. This morning, you can turn in your Bibles to Psalm 125. That's where we will be. Those of you who are used to Sam's preaching, I can guarantee you'll be out of here for lunch on time. Won't go quite as long. Hoping to get you there early, maybe beat some lines. So uh, I'll read the scriptures and I'll pray and then we'll get right into it. Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good. O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, the beautiful weather outside, and being able to gather here as your children. Lord, in this life it's so easy to lack security and assurance in our salvation, but I thank you that you've given us your word so that we can be confident in what we have in you. Lord, I pray that through your Holy Spirit you would be moving today in this church. I ask you would be at work in the hearts of the people here and also in my heart as well as I give the message. Lord, just strengthen us to hold fast to your word and to cherish it, because through it we understand that Christ is our Savior and he died for us. So I just pray over this time and ask for your spirit to be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we're in Psalm 125, and back in my church in Madison, we're going through a series of uh, called the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, and that's a series of 15 psalms within the book of Psalms, Psalms 120 through 134. And we don't particularly know specifically why uh, these uh, psalms were written or how they were utilized, but probably Israelites would sing these psalms when they would journey from their homes to Jerusalem. And they're called Psalms of Ascent because Jerusalem was one of the highest points in Palestine, so you'd literally have to ascend to get there. Uh, John Calvin describes the individual psalms of ascent as different musical notes, each arising in succession, each psalm representing a different note or a different facet of the Christian life, pain, distress, fear, confidence, praise, all of them taking you up to God. And today, Psalm 125 will be a musical note meant to stir confidence in our heart through trust in God. Because it's so easy in this life and in this world to lack confidence as Christians. And with that, I want to ask a question for you to just kind of think about. What are you trusting in, personally? As Christians, being here on Sunday, it can be easy To give the answer that everyone here is expecting you to give, I'm trusting in the Lord. But is that true for you? This past week, has that been true for you? Have you been going through your week? Has your trust been in the Lord? I know for my life, my weeks are usually filled with highs and lows that are usually the product of my wandering trust. I find that I'm often placing my trust in faulty things, and I can easily slip into that throughout the week. What are you trusting in today, this past week? What have you been putting your trust in? Has it been your bank account that you've been building up so that when hard times come, you at least have a financial net to secure you? or you've been trusting in your good Christian morals that you were brought up in because they provide you stability and direction in this life when things seem to be so out of whack. Your trust can be placed in many different things that will lead you to anxiety, sadness, and doubt. When your trust is in the wrong things, your life is like a sinking ship. On the top deck, things might seem pretty normal at first, you might not notice a difference, but as time passes and that ship takes on more water, the reality of your sinking starts to set in and panic takes over. We start to wonder, is God really reigning and ruling in a world where it seems like everything is out of control? Is it worth it to continue in this faith, even though there seems to be so much going against it? Will it really be worth it in the end for us to persevere through these difficult times? When these questions pop up in my life, one constant usually is with it. My trust has been in faulty things. In this psalm, we will see three truths about God that shows that when we trust in Him, He will give us a sure confidence to face all of life. The first truth, the Lord secures us. The second truth, the Lord protects us. And the third, the Lord vindicates us. So let's hear this beautiful note that is Psalm 125. Starting with point one, the Lord secures us. In verse one, we read, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Which cannot be moved but abides forever. As we read that right away, we can see where a huge source of confidence can come from. And we're compared to a mountain when we trust in the Lord. Just to give you a frame of reference, Dwayne Johnson's a pretty confident guy, and he's just a rock. You guys are compared to a mountain, so let's kind of let's live like we can have more confidence in Dwayne the Rock Johnson because we can. And it's not just any random mountain we're being compared to. We're being compared to Mount Zion. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. But what does this really mean for us as Christians here? Does it mean that you're large and bulky and have an inability to do anything? I know for me it can sometimes feel like that, but thankfully no. The author lists two specific ways that you as a Christian... Are like Mount Zion. Just as Mount Zion is immovable, so you are immovable. And just as Mount Zion abides forever, so you abide forever. The word used here for "moved" uh, is mot in Hebrew, and it usually has the connotation of tottering or falling away or having a loose footing. And in Psalm 46.6, the same word is used to describe the kingdom's of this world tottering. What does this mean? How is it that God's people can not totter or fall, but abide forever? If you're like me, there are definitely many times where you feel movable in this life. It seems like a lot of things can bring that out in us. Maybe it's a spell of doubt that crops up in your walk with Christ, where you start to question, is this even true? Is this real? Possibly someone does something that irritates you and then all of a sudden your emotions switch from joy to anger. That doesn't sound very immovable to me. Here, however, our immovability is ascribed not to our emotional state or our relationships. This verse here is describing the faith of those who trust in the Lord. Your faith is immovable. Your faith will abide forever. By this I mean, you will not fall away. Your faith will abide forever. Charles Spurgeon, in his commentary on the psalm, puts it this way. Faith in God is a settling and establishing virtue. He who by his strength sets fast the mountains by that same power stays the hearts of them that trust in him. Or in other words, the same God who created the mighty mountains and set them in place where they abide forever, that same God, when you trust in him, he establishes your faith and secures it to him. Your faith is immovable and abiding when you trust in Christ. As we look closer at this comparison, between those who trust in the Lord and Mount Zion, we see that the mountain specified is also very important to us. Mount Zion is the place where God dwells. The author of the psalm could have just as easily compared us to a mountain, very vague, but we would have gotten the idea of being immovable and abiding, but he uses Mount Zion. And I believe that this was an Old Testament shadow of what you and I experience as New Testament believers—that is, just as Mount Zion was the dwelling place of God—now, as believers, you yourselves are that dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you when you trust in Christ, as First Corinthians six nineteen says. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Ephesians 1 also tells us that the Spirit is the seal of our salvation. He's the guarantee of our inheritance. If The Spirit lives in you. Your inheritance as a child of God, namely eternal life, kingship on the new heavens and the new earth, and heavenly treasure, it is all irrevocable if the Spirit lives in you. The seal of the Spirit can never be removed. And so I know some of you may not feel this truth kind of ring true for yourselves, and I know on my Christian walk I've had seasons of doubt crop up where I have felt movable. A couple years ago I experienced a mini existential crisis that lasted about two weeks where I was beginning to question almost everything in my, my faith. Um, I began to ask questions about how can I know what truth is true, Can I even trust the Bible? Is God even real? These questions kind of plagued my mind for two seemingly long weeks. Yet there was one thing that, despite all my doubt, I held on to. In the back of my mind, I kept repeating this phrase, God, I may have let you go, but I know you'll never let me go. And at the time, There is no reason for me to even hold on to this truth because I couldn't even tell you what truth was. But this is an instance of God preserving in me a small seed of faith that he used to bring me closer to him. And until you go through it, you don't realize that it's God working. When you come out the other side, you can point back and say, I was not able to hold on, but God held on to me. And he will continue to hold on to you. That is why we need to view this immovable nature of our faith not as a subjective experience that we get to live in our day-to-day lives, but as an objective reality. Because when you're in the thick of doubt and you're going through it, it can seem as if this truth is a lie, and God doesn't have you. It will feel like you are falling. But take heart, because behind the scenes, God is working in you. When you trust in him, he will not let you go. Your faith is immovable and abiding. God will not let it fail. And you need to remember that it's not the quality of your faith that secures you, but it's the object of your faith that secures you. One week you could be riding high at 100% faith and things can be going so well for you in your walk with Christ. The next week, maybe you're at 50% the week after that, maybe you drop down to a 2% or even a 1% faith, and you are really struggling. But the promise God makes to you here is that that percentage will never be zero. He will always preserve in you a seed of faith to bring you to the end. So the Lord secures us. One of the ways this psalm sets us up for this life is the wonderful reminder we have that we are secure in our faith, immovable like the mountains where God dwells. And secure in him, we can face what comes. But the Lord doesn't just secure us. Point two, the Lord protects us. Looking at verse two, it says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Here we see that just as the vast mountain ranges surround Jerusalem, so does God surround you to protect you when you trust in him. I know that as South Dakotans, you don't have any clue what a mountain is, so just try to picture a large hill. I think that should probably get the the same message across, but the mountains here depict an image of protection, specifically from outside threats. The mountains would have guarded against nations seeking to come in and take over Israel, take over Jerusalem. The mountains would have also protected against harsh weather coming in. And In the wild, when wolves are hunting their prey, as a pack, they circle one animal and then they attack it. And it's very effective, otherwise wolves probably wouldn't be around anymore. But in a similar way, Christians are also facing danger from every side. And our enemy is described in Ephesians 6.12 when it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers that are presiding over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And earlier in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, you can read that we are actually surrounded by three very menacing wolves as Christians. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of these evil entities have one goal in common when it comes to you. They want you to denounce Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, and they want to drag you into hell with them That is what they want to do, and that is their only goal and purpose in this life. Yet you have hope, because while these enemies have us hemmed in on all sides, and we can sometimes feel constricted by them, we can always remember the truth that just as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people to protect them from this time forth and forevermore. It's an eternal protection. They can never get to you for the rest of time. Through this imagery, God is saying something so beautiful to you, his people. God is saying you don't have to worry. You don't have to be afraid. He's saying that he is surrounding you. He's on guard. He never sleeps or slumbers. And he is protecting you from this time forth and forevermore. If the government comes to rip you from your homes for your faith in Jesus Christ, they can't rip you from God's arms. If you have to pay with your life because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be paying with your soul. They can't take that. Try all they want. Satan and his demons can never harm your soul, and there is no need at all to fear the devil when you are in Christ. Continuing to verse 3, now we kind of catch a glimpse of a specific threat that Israel uh, is dealing with and has dealt with many times in the past. The verse says this For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Here we see a description of a threat faced by faithful Israelites. There is a wicked ruler who has taken up authority over Israel, Uh, and we get this from the phrase scepter of wickedness. Uh, The word scepter is usually associated with some form of rule, uh, sometimes political, sometimes an economic rule, Uh, but here it's a political rule, and it's modified with the word wicked. So we have a wicked ruler presiding over Israel. We see this over and over again in the book of first and second kings that this is not anything new for Israel. Um, I randomly flipped my Bible open to Second Kings, and I, I don't recommend reading your Bible in this way. It was mostly for an experiment I was doing, but I just opened it to Second Kings, and this was the first passage that I laid eyes on. In the fifteenth year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahiah, the son of Menahem, began to reign over Israel in Samaria. And he reigned two years and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Israelites are all too familiar with wicked rulers. And the danger associated here with wicked rulers is that they can draw others into their wickedness to perform the wicked things that they're perpetuating. So he says, The scepter of wickedness shall not rest, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. So there's correlation between a wicked rule and wicked followers. The NAV translates this verse as, The scepter of wickedness will not remain on the land allotted to the righteous, which implies that there's already some sort of wicked rule presiding over Israel at the time of this psalm's writing. God may remove that wicked ruler from Israel, and he may not. But to the Israelites who are struggling underneath these wicked rulers, these promises we're looking at would have been a source of encouragement and joy. Namely, that they are secure in the Lord and they are protected by that same Lord. And not only that, amidst a generation of wicked men, he will be faithful and preserve them through it. And so it is for you, Christian. What wicked rulers do you have in your life that you face? Perhaps it's a a boss at work who demands that you lie for the sake of the business so that things go smoothly, more money comes in. Maybe it's a spouse at home who is abusive verbally or physically. Perhaps it's the culture which demands total and complete acceptance of their views, otherwise you're condemned as a blasphemer and a heretic. Whatever the ruler, whatever the oppression you're facing in your life, God will protect your soul from them. And they can never, no matter what they do, no matter how hard they try, they can never take Christ from you. He is inseparable from you when you trust in him whether or not we share those rulers that I just mentioned, we all have experienced the same exact wicked rule in our lives. Paul in Ephesians 2 tells us that God has delivered us from the tyranny of the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. Before we are saved, we are under the scepter of wickedness in the form of slavery to sin and slavery to Satan. And through trust in God, we are transferred from that kingdom of darkness where Satan is ruling over us, where sin is ruling over us. We're transferred from that kingdom into a kingdom of light where by God's grace, we can live righteously, we can follow after the Lord, and it is all by God's grace. The scepter of wickedness is removed from us, and we are free. And it's removed from us in such a way that the scepter of Satan's rule can never res- preside over you ever again. He can never have dominion over your soul like he had before Jesus Christ saved you. God will keep you. He is holding you, and He will never let you go. And His protection is sure, reliable, and eternal. God will keep you. Even in the midst of pain and death, God's protection is like the mountains that surround Jerusalem. In Christ, we are safe. So the Lord secures us. The Lord protects us. And third, the Lord vindicates us. Finishing out this psalm, we read, Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. And to those who are upright in their hearts, but those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Here in these two verses, God is telling you that He will vindicate you, Christian. We see here a prayer sent to God by faithful people, His faithful Israelites. And this prayer is a hopeful inquiry for God's justice to be acted out on the good and the bad. The Israelites have been under this oppressive rule that we learned about in verse 3, and with that, some of their people have defected, capitulated to the side of the wicked ruler because they deemed it easier to take that yoke on than to take the light yoke of Christ They abandoned God, they jumped ship, and they turned aside to their crooked ways. They saw what God was offering and they rejected it because that wouldn't satisfy them. And these people were those who never truly trusted in God because if they had, God would have secured them through it and they would have persevered. They turned aside to their crooked ways. The language used in these verses also paints a great picture for us to keep in mind when it says, do good to those who are upright in their hearts. Another way we can translate the word upright is to say straight. So do good to those who are straight of heart. So there's a comparison now between the good who are straight of heart and the wicked who turn aside to their crooked ways. So there's two paths being Presented to us here, the straight path and the crooked path. A good question to ask here is, how can I tell the difference between the straight path and the crooked path if I can't actually see the path? This is just spiritual. For me, I can be tempted to believe that it's simply a moral difference that those who are seemingly good people are on the straight path. Those who are nice, those who don't really step on people's toes, those ones got to be on the straight path. That's not always the case. That path can be just as crooked as those who are evil outright. Jesus tells us which path to take in his gospel when he tells us that he is the way, he is the truth, He is the life. Not much more clear than that. The path that is straight is Jesus Christ himself. And if our eyes are fixed on Christ, and we are walking towards him, we can know that we are on the straight path. To walk towards Christ is to listen to him through reading your Bible, through reading the Word, through hearing the Word preached, That's how we can listen to Christ. To walk towards Christ is to talk with Him through prayer every day and to follow Him through obedience. That is how we know that we are walking towards Christ. When our eyes are set on Him, and we are listening, we are talking, and we are following. This is how you can be sure that you are on the straight path and not the crooked path. Walking the straight path in this life more often than not means being ridiculed by the world. Uh, this past month, we probably could have felt that a little bit more than more months as pride was being celebrated. We are told that our traditional values are misogynistic and harmful to the people around us. We are called narrow-minded because we say it's only through Jesus Christ alone that you can be saved, not through Buddha. Buddha. Not through self-improvement, not through a law, not through being a good person. None of those things could ever provide you any form of salvation. They only provide you with delusion. There will be many things that you encounter in this life that will tell you that your faith in Jesus Christ is foolish. And you may even start to doubt your faith you may have thoughts like, is this really worth it for me to continue on this straight path? But brothers and sisters, on the day of the Lord, the Lord all will be vindicated. The truth of the gospel will be made manifest before the eyes of everyone in the entire world. And on that day, all the struggles you met with on the straight path, all the doubts that you pushed through, They will be vindicated before the eyes of every single individual that has existed. Those who hated you for your faith and those who loved you for your faith will finally see that you were right and they were wrong. And they will finally see that the God they had rejected is full of more grace, full of more love and joy than any of the false gods that they have built up for themselves you will be vindicated for your faith. And that is sure. And if we trust in that, that there will be a future vindication of our faith where everything is proven right and we are shown to be wise instead of fools, let's let that future vindication equip us now in our conversations with people. If we trust in the Lord that this is right and in the end of days he will show us to be right, then in our conversations with people, let's act like it. Let's show them, I'm confident in this. I am right. Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation. The way you are walking leads to hell. And I'm only telling you this because I care. Our conversations ought to look like that. So much confidence can be had in this truth that God will vindicate you for your faith. And it feels good to be proven right. All of us have probably experienced that at one point or another in this life, just small moments of being proven right. Recently at work, I got to experience the the, the sweet taste of vindication in front of all my coworkers. Uh, One of my buddies and I were arguing about a bar of soap, specifically about what color it was. Um, It's a bar of soap from Dr. Squatch, and I was saying that it was black because I was using my eyes. He said that it was blue, and that's, he has no reason to say that. <laughs> and we went back and forth for, honestly, t- too long during the workday. It was too long, several hours it seemed. And it got to the point where I was like, I need to go to the only source I know that will vindicate me, that will show me to be right. So I went to the Dr. Squatch website and I filled out their contact me form. And I said, listen, there is workplace conflict that needs to be resolved and you are the only one. Able to do this for us. I asked them, is this bar so black or is it blue? And the email got sent and we sat there waiting eagerly. And by the grace of God, two hours later, I received an email in my inbox from Dr. Squatch. And this was the moment when I knew I would be vindicated. So I opened the email. And I read it aloud for everyone in the room to hear. And it said, due to the activated charcoal being used in the soap, the bar of soap is black. I can't tell you how good that feels when you were proven right. (laughs) Kind of get a little bit of a high from it. I'm not going to lie. I may have also printed out that email and it's at my desk. So, But it feels good to be proven right, you know. I've since apologized to my coworker for pride that may have come up after that, so you don't have to get on me for that. (laughs) But it feels good to be proven right. And on the last day, that's what's going to happen to you as a Christian. You are going to be proven right, except it'll feel way, way better than being proven right over a bar of soap. God secures us. God protects us. And God vindicates us. As we come to the end here, fittingly, the psalm concludes with the proclamation, Peace be upon Israel. The psalm is meant to stir in your hearts a confidence in the Lord that ultimately leads you to peace in your life now, just as it did for the Israelites in the Old Testament who were facing wicked rulers. As God's beloved children, you can have assurance in your salvation. I know what it feels like to lack assurance. There are some days where maybe you wonder, God, am I really yours? Have I sinned out of your graces? There are days when I've just felt like I'm a fraud with my faith. Have I actually been genuine in my trust and in my profession of my faith in God? but have assurance that when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, He made a promise that he will never lose you and he will raise you up on the last day. When you place your faith in Christ and you trust in him, no matter what happens in the middle, he will preserve you and on the last day he will lift you up. That question can kind of still ring in our minds. How can I know that I'm genuine In my faith, how can I know that I actually trust the Lord? Going back to what I said earlier, are you walking towards him, or are you walking away from him? Not only that, when hard times come up in your life, where are you turning? Who are you trusting in to save you? More often than not, I can be tempted to open up my phone and scroll on my social media apps to just kind of move past any difficulties that come in my life but who are you trusting in to save you if you're running to prayer to to reading a word when something comes up in your life that would be a good sign that you are on the straight path when we trust in ourselves it's understandable why our doubts creep in we are weak we are finite We are fallen creatures, and we are oftentimes very foolish. But this is why God gives us psalms, like Psalm 125, to remind us not only of the salvation that we can have in Jesus Christ, but of the security of that salvation provided by that same Lord. Let's put our hope in a God who secures, who protects and who vindicates and who has demonstrated that more clearly than ever in sending his son, Jesus Christ, as the perfect shepherd, the perfect king, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. If you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, I may be on the crooked path. I may be walking away from God. I'd like to invite you to trust in Jesus Christ today. He offers you true security, true protection that leads to a life of peace. He offers you unfailing protection to keep your soul safe under the assaults of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And whether you are sitting here and you like it or not, there will be a day where Jesus Christ will return And he will do good to those who trusted in him. But those who turned aside to their crooked ways, he is going to lead away with evildoers because that's the path they set out for. Trust in Jesus and you can be sure that he will raise you up on the last day.